0: Dear broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. But when I
1: really saw it in my face, I was like, you know what? So much of this theology that we learn, so much of the acculturation is like really raising us to be perfect, silent, compliant victims. And I'm not having it. So I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to be la mala and you're going to deal with it, but it's going to be an act of self-preservation.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Podbrots. This is a podcast about women in podcasting, and I'm your host, Alexandra Cole. Alexandra Cole. Hello, my dear listeners. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope your past week has been going okay. I know on Monday, April 11th, 2021, we awoke to some very upsetting news that a Minnesota police officer killed a young black man named Dante Wright during a traffic stop. I just really wanted to hold some space to acknowledge what happened And also make sure that you've heard about it to provide a couple of resources for how you might be able to help. I know that Holistic Ho on Instagram has been in contact with his girlfriend and is disseminating information on how to directly donate to her and provide items for their son. I've included a link to that post in the show notes where you can get all that information. If you're listening to this and you know some other places we should be looking out for specifically for Dante and his family, please feel free to share and send that my way and I'll happily share via Instagram and a future newsletter. What happened is a continued reminder that even if it might not be as trendy as it was last summer to say Black Lives Matter and to take action to show that Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that that's not something we should be instilling into our everyday actions up to this point and beyond this point and until we really start seeing change in this country. So please do just take that with you this week and continuously in the months after. We have a lot of work to do, but we can keep doing it. So just don't let your fire burn out And make sure to keep supporting each other in this process of this movement. Now, I do want to begin to intro this episode with you. And I'm so, so thrilled to share it, especially during Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Today, I will be speaking with Mala Munoz, who is a favorite podcaster of mine, the co-host and co-creator of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, and one that archives and centers the lived experience of women and femmes of color. Now, not just a favorite podcaster, but literally one of my favorite people on the internet. She is so much fun to follow, but also speaks some really important shit. So I highly recommend you give her a follow there. We'll definitely talk about that and give handles toward the end of the interview. So just keep a listen out. Now, separate from her podcast work, she is also a writer, teacher of self-defense, and was a state-certified counselor advocate for rape and domestic violence cases for four years in L.A. So, first off, I do just want to give a brief content warning for this episode so you know that we will be talking about topics that surround sexual assault and violence, specifically against women during portions of this conversation. And as many of you who know me from Podgerland, Instagram, past episodes of the Pod Broads, my personal life, etc., you can probably already guess why I'm so happy to share this episode during this month. But if this is your very first episode with me, I just want to share that I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and over the last four years... I've really been able to do a lot of healing work and gain a better understanding of how PTSD and other forms of trauma really play a role in the patterns that we build as humans. And ever since I've started speaking out about it publicly, I only feel stronger and more confident and honestly more compassionate with myself. It's one of the reasons I really gravitated to the work that Mala and her co-host Diosa FM who will be on next week's episode are doing. They very proudly express how their work is from a survivor-centered lens, and so you'll hear in this episode about the first time I heard about their work and saw them speak, and also you'll get to hear the story behind Mala's name, which is her stage name. You'll hear about her work as a rape crisis counselor and a self-defense instructor and also how that informs the work that she does with the podcast and about the podcast parties Locatora would hold pre-pandemic and how they made those survivor-centered parties. We also talk about some of their other productions, like a short film that they had done. Plus, toward the end, we get into a much-needed conversation around influencer culture and one of the struggles that can come with it, and why we need to remember that there is more behind the scenes than what we see on Instagram. Finally, we talk about what it is like being a creator and beginning to professionalize and monetize the work that you are doing. She shares about their current fundraiser with iFundWomen that will ultimately go toward creating their production house. And if you do contribute, you also get some really dope perks along with it, like Locatora merch, which I have some already and I love it. Uh, You also will get a newsletter shout out, you can get a consult session with the Locatora team and monetization strategy session and some other really cool shit. So I highly recommend you contribute. And I just want to note that Mala and I recorded this episode on March 30th, And since recording, they have over $9,700 in the fund and are so close to reaching 10,000. So please do consider contributing if you can. What they are doing is so important and impactful, especially in the podcast industry. It will really provide more opportunity for so many more folks, specifically Latinx, and so many more stories that need to be told. Now, to start us off, we jump pretty quickly into Mala's identity of being a quote-unquote recovering Catholic. And all I have left to say is enjoy. Well,
1: how are you? I'm well. I'm well. Um, You know, we are in the middle of our first fundraiser crowdfund campaign ever, our 90 days to 100K crowdfund. So it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, I think that when we started, we of course knew that this would be a huge undertaking. But then I stopped and I thought about the fact that that's a large amount of money in a short amount of time, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, more money than we've ever seen, you know? So, so to, (laughs) to get there, like the push it's, it's a lot of work. And luckily we have friends and, folks who are helping us and and who are supporting in the effort but yeah so for the next you know for the next like 77 days it's just all campaign 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 so oh, I'm very man. it's it's beautiful out like it's definitely summer weather like it's gorgeous but I have not left my apartment I have my blinds down my shades down we're just hunkered in we're not acknowledging the the outdoors or the sun <laughs> right now not until we meet <laughs> our goal <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, I'm so excited for both of you. Can you give just like a little intro of you separate from your work and then you within the work that you do just so we have some context for the people who don't know you yet? Yes. Hello, hello. My name is Mala Munoz, and I am
1: a co-producer, co-founder, co-host of the, the Latinx podcast, Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, along with my co-host and co-producer, Dios FM. We've been podcasting since 2016. I quit my job in spring of 2020 to really pursue podcasting, mm. yeah, and content creation, digital media, and everything else full-time. So now it's 20- 2021, we just launched our season five of Locatora Radio. Our season five is called Por Casteras Peligrosas, and we're currently fundraising $100,000 to launch our own production house, Locatora Productions. So that's my main gig. That's my main squeeze. That's my main focus. (laughs) And outside of podcasting, (laughs) I write, I do a little writing here and there. I've Mm -hmm. written and published some reported essay, more journalistic pieces for like the Daily Coast, Prism, Bitch Media, in the past, Everyday Feminism, and Vibe. Now I'm in a space where I'm transitioning into writing scripts and screenplays. So I've been taking a couple of classes. I've been taking classes on writing for animated television Ooh, and cool. um yeah, and a class on sketch writing. And so I have been working on a sketch comedy web series that I'm I'm writing and that I want to act in. So yeah, a lot of little projects, a lot of little projects that we have kind of, you know, um behind the scenes that we're working on slowly. And for me, um, the, the writing always comes hand in hand with the podcasting because there's a lot of writing involved in podcasting Mm -hmm. and in just content creation online anyways, like it's we're constantly writing copy and writing stories and narratives and drawing people in and being catchy and interesting and funny and having uh, brand continuity and incorporating hashtags and all these things. (laughs) Right. So yeah. Yeah. So
0: that's me. That's, yeah, that I, well, I'm glad you brought up all those different pieces because part of what I want to talk to you today about is kind of all of those and how they work in tandem together, because I don't know, do you, would you identify as an influencer?
1: Yeah, the the label has been thrust upon me and I just yes. sort of ac- accept it now that that is one of the labels. Yes, that is an accurate thing to say.
0: <laughs> okay. Um But just, just all these pieces that come together and that you're doing both as yourself and for your own brand and then for Locatora's brand and kind of how those two things intersect.
1: Yeah, it's so funny because since there's two of us, Diosa and I, we definitely have always played off of our dynamic. So down to our names, to the way that we talk and our energies, our attitudes and our outlooks on life, Diosa has always represented the good angel and Mala (laughs) is the bad angel Uh in the dynamic. And when we come together it's it's this fusion, right? And it's something really fun and, and engaging. We also have our separate sort of brands and stage names and our work and our identities. And I think we even have kind of our own individual sort of fan bases. So there are mm-hmm. folks who like really identify with Yosa and then there are folks who really identify with me and, um, or they're really scared, but they're intrigued and they just want to know more. You know what it is? <laughs> and um, so it's interesting kind of parsing out like what's, podcast appropriate versus Mm -hmm. what is like very specific to me and and my brand and my voice and what I do but one of the reasons why we want to launch a production company is so that we don't have to pick and choose we can say oh look we have an umbrella we have an infrastructure we have a company and all of these disparate parts of ourselves can exist you know we can have a podcast that that I Host, and then we can have a podcast that Diosa hosts, and then we can have mm-hmm. shows and, and and book clubs and things that are very Diosa specific, you know. Or we can bring in new talent and create something entirely different than what either of us has to put forward, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think um, the journey has been a lot of like embracing the things that make us individuals, marrying the things that work well together, but also allowing ourselves to cultivate, you know, individually and separately, because the the separate parts if they're strong enough, they make the whole that much stronger. And I think Mm -hmm. we've always believed that like, let's go off and cultivate our own individual talents and interests because it's going to make the whole thing stronger.
0: Yeah. So I actually, I want to start there because that was definitely a piece I want to talk to you about. And for those of you who are listening to this, there will be a conversation with Diosa on the next episode. And so we'll kind of get both, both of those sides. And so for you, can you talk me through a little bit of the creation of kind of this public image version of yourself the mala part of it and also within that how did that start to get formed with diosa for the co-production work the co-hosting work did was that happening like in tandem at the same time or did one start before the other and start to help cultivate the other side of it.
1: Yeah, great question. So, I had a ton of different like handles on Twitter and Instagram like over the course of several years. My first one that I used was Sazón Completa, um which is like my favorite like seasoning that's just always laying around the house. <laughs> And it's like, oh yeah, the complete seasonings. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. So sazon completa. And I kept changing it, changing it, changing it because I was feeling different ways and I was feeling like different people and different attitudes. And then my friend Lori, um, Lori Ann, who I also run a clubhouse room with, uh, very oh, much yeah. single. Yeah. So my friend Lori Ann, who uh, I went to college with, and we had a radio show in London when we studied abroad there. So that was my first experience with radio was with oh. Lori, was with Campus Radio at Rare FM um, at University College London. So anyways, I'm like changing my handles, changing my handles. And, and Lori was like, you know, you could actually maybe create something for yourself. If you could just figure, figure yourself out and who are you and what are you called and just stick to it and just call yourself one thing and then create under that, that title, that name. And I was like, Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. And so I was like, putting out just like jokes and like little skits and just posts. And I started writing Um, my first couple articles were for Vibe. I wrote about Jessica Salgado. I wrote about um, Sand One, uh, Monica Kim Garza, uh, Selena Quintanilla for Vibe. And I decided that I wanted to stick with the Instagram handle I had been using and use that as my like pseudonym or artist name. Mm -hmm. And I was using Mala, Mala Munoz at the time. I love alliteration. And my middle name is Maria. So for me, it was kind of a fun flip. You know, Mm -hmm. my my middle name is a nod to the Virgin Mother, but I'm going to call myself, you know, La Mala. It's fine. (laughs) So I was publishing my articles, and you'll see my early articles are under Mala. And then Mm -hmm. Diosa was already using. Heard the Femme handle and name online. And we had been following each other and, you know, in the DMs here and there and commenting and tagging things. And then we, we were already calling ourselves Mala and Diosa before we even met in real life or before mm. we became friends, really, before we came together. So when we did meet in real life at this meetup in downtown L.A., Uh, we became friends, we started hanging out, we started going out. And then one day she hit me up and she asked me if I wanted to start a podcast. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So it just, we used our existing handles and our existing little micro followings and our existing little personalities we were cultivating on there. And it just made sense. They worked together, they fit, and it allowed us to create something that makes sense. Um, And it was based off of things we were already doing, which is why part of the reason why I think it has worked because- Mm -hmm. There was already some branding and and voice like cultivating that we had been doing without even realizing it.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I don't think i I didn't realize that like that was the meeting of you two through just like kind of through online uh, courting, if you will. Yes, <laughs> um- <laughs> yes, it was a
1: courtship of sorts.
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, and so why why did that name? Feel right in addition to the alliteration and in addition to kind of the flipping of the middle name. Like, I think you've kind of expressed thus far, you identify a little more with like the quote unquote darker side yeah. of things. So, I think I just want to hear you expand on that a little bit. And in particular, like what was going on for you personally during the time that you were really locking in that pseudonym and that online identity.
1: Oh, so many things.
0: So, you know, I, uh, we talk a lot on
1: the podcast about being recovering Catholics. And, <laughs> are, and we are, <laughs> and I really am, deep in recovery. <laughs> and part of the reason why we talk about that is because we we each grew up in Latinx Catholic families. My family's Roman Catholic, and the type of Roman Catholic where, like, in the before times, my grandma Nacha definitely always sat in the front pew at Mass and, like, mm-hmm that is the front pew with the cushions on it and you don't sit in their seats because that is for the señoras who are really about the shit you know what i mean <laughs> yeah my mom is a career catholic school teacher she has been teaching for like i want to say like 20 years now oh, 18 wow. years yeah and she still teaches at a catholic school i was raised in the church and i did the church choir and you know mass three times a week and i've done all my sacraments except for like death marriage and holy orders like we're in this shit you know so (laughs) for me there's a lot of underlying symbolism when it comes to you know the notion of what is a good woman Mm -hmm. um and especially in like latinx communities there is a lot of emphasis on being like a good woman and and you know, uh, mala mujer is not like a positive thing. And there is a lot of conversation in our learning and in our theology and stuff about the virgin whore dichotomy. And Mm -hmm. if you're not virginal and pure, then you're a diabla, you're the devil, you're horrible. And, and there was just so much of that. And it was very binary The my sort of uh, socialization into gender and into womanhood vis-a-vis family, vis-a-vis culture, vis-a-vis experience. And of course, vis-a-vis the church mm-hmm. and I just never liked it. It just never sat well with me. It always was like icky to me. And so I was just the type of kid who instead of uh conforming, I, I rebelled and in <laughs> the opposite direction. My poor parents, I was definitely that kid like in the eighth grade and stuff that I was getting in trouble for making out with my boyfriend all over the place and at the <laughs> church festival. Because, you know, every Catholic school, they're, they're connected to a church and usually right. the church will put on a festival to like raise funds. <laughs> um, and I remember I, I got in so much trouble for like hooking up, not hooking up with, but making out with my little eighth grade boyfriend when I was in the eighth grade, like at the church festival, and like leaving hickeys all over his neck. But of course my, oh my mom God, was there, so there. So, and they're like, oh my God, Mrs. Munoz, like your daughter is like a, de- <laughs> a devil child, a monster. So, you know, that was me. And then. Um, my (laughs) genesis, my origin. But then when I was an adult, after I graduated from college, I started working at this rape crisis center. Mm -hmm. And for me, I really saw in my face in such real ways, like, way that women are demonized and villainized and blamed and criminalized for simply seeking out help or trying to defend themselves or trying to get away from really horrific acts of abuse and violence. I was working with survivors of domestic violence and sex trafficking and sexual assault. And what I learned in that time here in the city of Los Angeles, in the civil courts, the criminal courts, airport court, child support court, dependency court, um, juvenile court, is that like survivors, women and children, like you can't, there's nothing that without we can do that is going to be received with love and empathy and and support and understanding. You can be the most virginal, um, pure, God-fearing, rule-abiding, law-abiding, tax-paying citizen individual and and still be treated like absolute shit, especially if you've been abused and especially if you try and report the abuse and especially if you Mm. seek out help, especially if you defend yourself. So I, I, I was in this field in the court system um, uh, through a nonprofit for for four years and working with clients and going to court with clients to help my clients get restraining orders to help them testify in criminal hearings, you know, against their their attackers in gang rape, uh, a gang rape case that I worked on, for example, like mm. pedophiles, like all this shit, right? right? And the thing that I learned, the takeaway is that like there's... Like nothing that you can do to be the right or appropriate, or the, the the sympathetic victim. And I think that really changed something in me. I was already very hesitant about the patriarchy and about the mm-hmm. systems we live in. But when I really saw it in my face, I was like, you know what? So much of this theology that we learn, so much of the acculturation is like really raising us to be perfect, silent, compliant victims. And I'm not having it. So I'm gonna be the opposite. I'm gonna be la mala and you're gonna deal with it, but it's gonna be an act of self-preservation.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. I have to say, because when I, you know, first heard about you and Diosa Locatora Radio was at Work It. And that was, you know, closing in on the end of 2019. And around that time, I was like finally dealing full force with like my own history with sexual abuse and just like going through like full-on PTSD, just like all, all that fun stuff. And I remember hearing you talk about your work at the crisis center and just how will, both of you come from like a very survivor-centered approach to the work that you're doing even with the podcast and other things that you work on like you're writing and I was just like I love you and this is great and I am totally here for it because I really resonate with that piece of just the ability to just say fuck you and like what you want to say and using your platform to not censor yourself which is what we're so often told to do in all these spaces um and which just contributes to the violence even more i just i just really resonated with it and i love that that's your focus when you're doing this work so i just want to make sure you know that um and thank you yeah i also i have to ask because you you also taught self-defense classes, mm-hmm. right? Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I used to work at a, uh, in my advocacy work, I was employed by a local rape crisis center, one of the largest in the nation. Um, and one of the first rape crisis hotlines in the country was founded here in Los Angeles by LaCaw. Um, Which then later grew into a large, into a a mid sized nonprofit that offers um, 24 7 emergency response and advocacy services to survivors throughout LA City and LA County. So that's where I was working. And with them, they had a women's and children's self defense program. So I was trained in. Um, facilitating classes with women and children, with youth, and also um, a few classes through UN Women for survivors who are deaf and blind. Mm. And uh, what those classes are mostly about is recognizing the sort of what we would call weapons of opportunity on the body that we all carry with us, as opposed to relying on Things like pepper spray or tasers or weapons that so often are at the bottom of the bag, at the bottom of the purse, in the glove compartment of the car, are hard to get to, require specific training to properly use those things themselves, you know, because any weapon that you're using can be taken away and used against you kind of a thing. So the self-defense classes were all about, like, what are the weak spots on a potential attacker's body? And every attacker, regardless of gender, is going to have the same weak spots because we have the same soft tissue. It's the eyes. It's the nose. It's the throat. It's the groin. Right. Yeah. So really um, teaching folks where to target an attacker's super vulnerable spot, no matter how tall you are or whether you're in a wheelchair or whether, you know, you're a child or what have you. Um, And also really, really facilitating conversations about what people are already doing to keep themselves safe. Because I know me Mm. personally, as a woman, I have been raised like safety planning and kind of engaging in self-defense without even knowing it. Like everything we've ever been taught, everything that we do to like stay vigilant and get home safe are all self-defense and safety planning techniques, right? Mm. Like- having your keys ready when you are approaching a parking lot so that you're not fumbling in your bag to get into your car, locking all your doors the second you get into your car, right? Um, Calling somebody when you're walking home or when someone is looking at you weird and having a witness via telephone, right? Because Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody hears something, they're a legal witness to things or they can call the police. Um, You know, there are people who have safety plans to uh, pump gas, because gas stations are a place where people get attacked. Parking lots are a place where people get attacked. Bathrooms are a place where people get attacked. Your own home, you know? So what I, I would do in most of my classes is have a significant amount of time dedicated to a knowledge share. Like let's share with each other what we're already doing. Because if you're already doing it, there's a reason. Um, if, you, if you do this more than once, tell us why. And, and, and does it work for you? What are we not thinking of? What are other techniques we haven't considered? So yeah, that's, that was in the before times. That was yeah. the, the self-defense program.
0: Hey friends, just a brief pause from this conversation so I can tell you about The Wave Podcasting. The Wave is a company that helps women grow their podcasts so they can build an audience and get paid. They offer educational resources and a digital community of which I am a part of and I've gotten to meet some pretty dope women and get some great tips along the way. Plus, the founder Lauren Popish is a huge reason I've been able to start this podcast. She helped me find the perfect recording equipment for my setup and just get really comfortable with jumping in for the first time. And here's what's cool. They have a free mini guide that will help you kickstart your podcast growth strategy that you can download today by going to the show notes to find the link to their website. And when you're ready, you can purchase a complete guide to podcasting and use my code Poderland P-O-D dot D-R-A-L-A-N-D, 10, to get 10% off the total cost. So ladies, come podcast. Kind of related to that, and what I wanted to ask you about part of your conversation when you were at Work It was this talk about creating a survivor-centered nightlife. And I always remember that piece of the conversation because it was, at the time, something I had never thought of like thought could exist and so for you and diosa when you were planning these because you would have like podcast parties and events and things like that what does this survivor-centered nightlife event look like how does the framing of it change from what we might be used to
1: yeah so i think it there are simple things that we did to try and set the temperature and set the tone to inform the attendees and the partygoers that that's what we were doing, that this was mm-hmm. survivor centered and we were not going to tolerate, you know, groping and harassment and violence. And um, of course, because we're talking about human beings and, and alcohol, even if you call a space a safe space or you call a space a survivor centered space, there's mm-hmm. no guarantee that you know, everyone's needs are going to be met or that everybody is going to be treated with kindness and respect. Um, Part of it is acknowledging the reality of um, just humanity and human beings. And I I think it's really important for us to like, for me to say that, you know, like, um, whether it's a locatora event or whoever's event, like, you know, it's still the world Mm -hmm. and we're not capable of creating, um, a bubble outside of the world. However, we can do our very, very, very best to design an experience that comes close to the bubble we would like to live in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with our very human and economic limitations, because <laughs> you, you know, we can think about things like safety. Um, everything costs money. Yeah, safety costs money. You mm-hmm. know, safety costs a lot of fucking money, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 protecting yourself and others can cost money too. So what we did in lieu of having money <laughs> is we created um sort of like not rules, but like our expectations for our party, right? Everything from like the flyer and the language that we used and how we advertised it. We used to throw these podcast parties, Tora Live, a podcast party. And it was always about, you know, We are using podcasting and Perreo for world peace. Uh, sh- com- you know, uh, show up, show out and smash the patriarchy. Like from the <laughs> beginning, the language on the flyer lets you know what type of event it is. And I think you have to tell people what type of event you're throwing because mm-hmm. people are le- looking for specific experiences. And if you tell them, you know, this is misogyny central, then <laughs> the people looking for misogyny central are going to show up to your event because that's what you're advertising. So we started with the advertising. We're advertising this anti-patriarchal space where we're also going to have fun. And then at our podcast parties, in the party itself, we would... I don't remember off the top of my head, but we wrote this sort of like manifesto and we would mm-hmm. deliver it on stage, like while we're hosting our own party. And it was basically like, you know, femmes to the front, like don't touch anyone without their consent. Like if you need help, like come tell us or someone on our team and, you know, we're going to make sure that you're comfortable. Right. So we like gave people ground rules, but it was like rhymy and sing songy and fun we gave people ground rules while also giving folks like options if they needed something, like if something bad were to happen and they needed to come talk to somebody about it, like they could come seek us out. Right. Mm-hmm. So those were some of the things that we did, you know, and also we uh, we did our best to hire security um, that is tricky, too, because mm-hmm. security guards are just people in right. uniforms <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who also don't have tons of power or authority to really do anything about anything. Yeah. Like, you know, when shit goes off, like whether it's security at a store or security at an event, Um, again, limitations. But, right. what we, but what we had the power to do was to use our voices again and to set a tone and to set a temperature. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did in our in our live events.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you bring up that piece, just the humanity piece, because I think... You know on one side it can feel a little discouraging um but on the other end i'm like okay but if we're creating more spaces where the power dynamic is flipped then that puts you know perpetrators in the minority versus the majority and that's yeah. the best we can do and i think that that's something that like we can make movement toward mm-hmm. and you know, the money piece is really, uh, cause money is power. And so that's an ongoing battle, but I don't know. I, I think I try to remain optimistic when I can, when I'm not in like spiral mode, but optimistic about like, okay, we're never going to fully get rid of these people, but we can at least push them to be in the minority and be able to like reward and, uh, support the people who aren't harming people. Yeah. Um, and when they're in a power position, especially. So That's really helpful. I yeah, I was always really curious to hear a little bit more about like how you were able to do that. And I think just having the framework there lets people know like something that's so maybe seemingly small, like just stating the obvious of the expectations of the party. Can make a big difference
1: yeah even things like and at a party music is everything and i think we we sometimes forget the power of music but really music is magic and it is powerful and it's a learning tool and it fires off all these neurons in your head at the same time so when you're listening to things you're also learning and internalizing and we always 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 have djs who are women of color so dj zuri um and dj sizzle fantastic um, mm-hmm. have Dj to all of our parties. and we just know like even down to the music, even down to the the vibes, like we are trying to really center specific artists and creatives who get it, who, mm-hmm. who are on the same page and who also want to have like a fun femme centered survivor centered experience. So whether or not we give them those explicit instructions, like it comes yeah. out in the music that they play.
0: You know, yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, so I I want to not backtrack, but go back to a piece that you mentioned about your mom real quick, because also on your most recent episode, which will probably shift a little when this comes out, but a recent episode where you're talking about the ninety days to a hundred thousand, um, the crowdfunding you talk about the lingerie shoot that you and diosa did for season five which is so dope thank you um you're welcome and i i always think of a Twila dang's tweet about the way you youtube promo she's always like they know how to do promo like videos and i was like yes i totally agree um but i'm, I'm thinking about the part where you know, you were, you and Dessa were talking about your, each of your mother's reactions to the lingerie shoot and how your mom wasn't like, I I won't say like totally not for it, but she was kind of more of the side of, okay, but what's the vision? Like why why is this the choice? And so I, I am curious also because you mentioned, you know, the work that she does and how, uh, Completely, uh, I guess, a little antagonistic. Your uh, social identity is yes. in in that space. Like how how is the work that you're doing with Locatora and all the other things that you do, either in tandem or separate from that impacted your relationship with your mom and has anything surprised you by how that maybe has changed throughout the last four years
1: yeah my mother i mean you know my mother is extremely supportive um of everything that i do but support especially again you know uh, uh, support doesn't necessarily have to be unconditional and and support can also come with a lot of questions and hesitation mm-hmm. and you know like support can mean a lot of different things but it's still support so w- while she does support m- my artistry and media work and everything that I'm doing it's very different it's Mm -hmm. It's different. And and it is true that what I'm doing is and what I choose to do is antagonistic to, you know, (laughs) everything that she is and believes in. And it's okay. (laughs) Like, it's okay. Because I think that I've tried to bring my family along and they participate like my family owns locatora merch you know Mm -hmm. we would do our locatora live a podcast party and they show up and they go they attend you know uh we do uh, a show a talk at the la public library and they're in attendance you know um we did a stand-up set at ucb sunset and my mom went i was talking about Mm -hmm. sex and hooking up and and all these things um but she was there and she was laughing (laughs) and what's funny is because she might not agree with it, but she'll give it to me straight. I'll be like, mom, was I really funny? She'll be like, you know, I wouldn't laugh if you weren't. I wouldn't be (laughs) laughing if you weren't, if you didn't say something funny. So it had to be funny. So she can, uh, she can appreciate a well-crafted joke. And what's hilarious too, is I think each of our our, our, our families and my mom in particular, she loves some ranch. Like she loves, mm-hmm. she loves sin. You know what I mean? Like she loves dirty comedy. Like she, uh, the movies that I grew up watching with her was everything from the classics. You know what I mean? To, to uh-huh. the ranch, like, and everything in between. So she has range. So I know she can appreciate it. I know that she can appreciate camp. I know she can appreciate a dirty joke because I grew, I I know. Cause I was, a pre- that's where I got my appreciation for some of this stuff from comedy is through my mom's sense of humor but it's Mm -hmm. different when it's your own child now um, (laughs) doing it so I hold (laughs) space for that and I do my best too to like give her a mix of like um, you know like legitimate professional accolades mixed Mm -hmm. in with the craziness so I'm like okay mom here LA Times feature here, right. Forbes feature. Here, public library partnership. So I try and give her, look, you can be proud of these things. <laughs> Here's something for you to be proud of. Um, It's been cool. It's been cool.
0: Yeah, well, and it's funny you bring up that part about like mixing it in with the quote unquote more professional pieces. Because I think something I really appreciate about the work both you and Diosa do is you're both super like comfortable in your feminine skin you know like in the way that you express yourself and a lot of those things can often be judged as not intellectual or like smart or you know all that's like stupid stereotypical stuff and so that's always something I've really appreciated about the way that you two not just style yourselves but just the way the whole brand is cultivated like also on that episode you you said something about you're both not like writing a thesis on each episode you're talking about your personal experience and then also the observations you have with the knowledge that you have but maybe you don't know every single thing but it's 50 minutes on a podcast episode you're not going into a thesis level discussion of it but that doesn't mean that you can't have the fun and kind of like colloquial way of talking about something while also dissecting it in a really intellectual manner. And so have, did you see anyone really doing that when you started Locatora? Because I feel like I don't see a lot of people do what you two do in the way of branding and how you talk about stuff.
1: Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. You know, I think some of the inspo podcasts that came before, that came before us, Mm -hmm. there were a couple of Latinx podcasts and and podcasts by Black women that were like really in the space before we started in 2016. So I can think of like, for example, you know, Café con Chisme, with uh, Yasmin and Sebastian, with Yaz and Seb, who are siblings, they uh, were podcasting before we officially launched Locatora Radio. And as siblings, you know Yaz is like very hyper femme, um, very Chicana in her expression and in her style, and she's tatted up and. She's done modeling for like in the sort of lowrider Chicano world, and it's mm-hmm. a very specific femi- fem aesthetic that she embodies, you know. And then Seb is uh, non binary. And they both identify as Chicanx. and uh, Seb is actually a doctor, a professor mm. at Emory University, I want to say. And um, so they really, as a as a parent, as a podcast, were embodying like fem aesthetics, mm-hmm. but also talking about things in a pretty academic way. But again, without it being a formal thesis. You know, right. And with Seb being a professor and Yaz, Yaz ran for city council in Whittier, right? In addition to like the amazing work that she's been doing That'd at go. local universities, but also having her background in modeling. Like, so I, they were doing something similar there, um, but different in their own way as siblings and such with their own experiences. Mm-hmm. And I also would say Radio Menea, not necessarily embodying the fem aesthetics the way that we have, but in the way that they talk about music. So taking popular music, popular songs, and giving it that sort of like journalistic approach because they each um, work in journalism, or at least did at the time when they started. Uh, so I also want to say, you know, one of the first podcasts that I ever, ever was aware of, of course, was like Two Dope Queens. You know, they they definitely fashion and looks and aesthetics as Black women, while also like interviewing Michelle Obama. <laughs> yeah, you know, so. I don't think anybody was doing has done exactly like we've done. We're super campy, we love a theme, we like dressing up, like we like fun visuals. Um mm-hmm. but I think that there have been a lot of podcasters that we were like, okay, so like we could do this. Like there's, you know, like this is, we could do this. This -hmm. this is a thing that like people are doing. And I think those are some of the podcasters that did that
0: for us. Yeah, but I mean, like you say, and what I was saying before, like I just think the way that you connect all the pieces and Mm -hmm. the different type of production elements is, I just find it very unique. And so I was like, yeah, I wanted to see if there was, for you two when you were crafting it, if you had been able to see anything like that reflected onto you or if that was just kind of like well we're gonna try this and this is what we like and we're gonna see how it goes
1: yeah so I I think definitely uh, the naming and the photo shoots and stuff part of the reason why we we've done what we've done is because we said there's a hole here there's like an unoccupied lane and we're just gonna mm-hmm. slide in So we didn't want to be repetitive and we didn't want to, you know, just do like part two of what somebody else had already done. So I do, I do identify with what you're saying, what you're saying is true. Uh, We, we, we created the brand and the show that we did because it didn't exist yet. And we wanted Mm -hmm. to be the ones to make it. And that's part of the reason why we continue with like our short films and our, our video work, because yeah. we, we like to be well-rounded. And so for us, like the audio is amazing. The photos are amazing. The writing is amazing. Let's also bring in film and video to round it out.
0: Oh, well, I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I was, I really wanted to ask you about Loki as Anonymous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and part, part of that is, there's there's this thing that you two are doing that I really love and appreciate because we see so many celebrities starting to come into the podcasting space, but I've been more of, which there are certain celeb podcasts I really enjoy, but I've also been of the mind of... I want there to be podcasting celebrities that started in podcasting and that's their fame. And they, you know, get to do the cool, fun photo shoots and lingerie like we see actors do and we see other types of creators do. Um, And so that's that's something I see developing with everything that you two are doing and which I really love. But before I jump in, can you say a little bit about what Lokita's Anonymous is? Is
1: yes, Lokita's Anonymous is a short story and a short film. I wrote the story back in like late 2017, early 2018, and wrote a sort of treatment and built out the world for this dystopian, near future, post apocalyptic, like gender tech, like you know, dystopia. (laughs) Um, and so I wrote this and I shared it with, with Yosa, and I was like, I think that we could be characters within this story and our friends can be characters within the story. And I think if we reached out to like different Latinx small businesses and artists, um, we could get the thing made and create a short film. And that's exactly what we did. So we hit up a lot of different um, Latinx small businesses. So like Belladonna, um, mm-hmm. De Luna Designs, La Galaguetza, which is not a small business. It's a, like a major restaurant here on Olympic, a Oaxacan restaurant, which is actually, La Galaguetza is this famous Oaxacan restaurant here on Olympic. And they are owned and operated and run by the Super Mamas podcast. Oh, cool. So those podcasters, um, are, are LA like business owner royalty a oaxacan family and so in addition to being like podcast ogs they're like restaurateurs um so fun fact for those who don't know um (laughs) also behind i heart micheladas that's also them i heart Miches. so and so like they donated like tons of food so that we could feed our cast and crew and um uh the uh, uh nail salon in whittier let us use their space like on a sunday when they weren't open so we could film and um Uh, Chava, also known as Jose Salvador Sanchez and Michelle Moro, who are a married couple, but also Team Locatora. They um, (laughs) have helped us make so many of our videos. Um, and promo material and you know we cast Vanessa Romo who is a supermodel literally <laughs> <laughs> Vanessa Romo is in Lojitas Anonymous and uh, Jen Torres Jen from the block who's also an emerging model uh Crisol, who is a singer songwriter you know um uh, Zuri who is one uh, a DJ and who has DJed for us my sister my actual like biological sister is in it you know so many really cool um creators and creat- natives in the LA area, and Mm -hmm. um, we put it together, and we then threw Locatora Live, a podcast party, which is where we premiered our short film, and we would love to turn it into something bigger and continue filming it and grow out the story. I would love for Lokita's Anonymous to be a graphic novel, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, so all of that to say, like, we're we're raising (laughs) $100,000 for Locatora (laughs) Productions, so we can continue, you know, like, to work on some of these things that, that we've begun to put out into the world.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, and something about that that short that i loved well actually there were, there were a couple moments that there's this moment of silent dialogue between uh two two of the women in it and they're like e- expressing the drama that's going on without actually saying it and it's the comedic timing is just perfect and then there's male gaze enforcers which i was just like dying at um but <laughs> i w- what what made you choose and we're going back to kind of this this conversation around like, ultra femme uh, and the power that is in that, Mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to smashing the patriarchy. Um, But was that a, like, very intentional choice to have the kind of headquarters of Located's Anonymous in a nail salon, and if so, like, why? Like, what was the driving force behind the concept? Because I know you were the one who wrote it.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's uh, the idea in this world that we call the Patri apocalypse is the name of the the apocalyptic time period. It's the Patri apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a gender tech dystopia brought on by, you know, patriarchy and capitalistic greed and destruction of the environment and, and of all things. Right. So of course, like in, in, in an oppressive society when oppressors feel that they're losing control or that they're losing their, their hold on things, they just tighten the grip you know? Mm -hmm. And so the the idea is in this patriapocalypse, uh, we have a system that's been created where women and femmes, women of the past, got a little bit too comfy with technology, got a little bit too adept at it, a little bit too into making money, a little bit too involved in the economy. So the patriarchy decided to scale it all back. Like We're going to simplify this. And these women really, all they need to busy themselves with is maintenance and make sure that they they are are keeping up their look make sure that they Mm. look good they have to put in a certain amount of hours every week they're only allowed to visit certain locations and they're only allowed to to learn specific trades and specific skills because Mm. these are deemed non-threatening these are deemed unimportant these are deemed throwaway stuff so one of the things that they're allowed to do is cosmetology uh, mm-hmm. And the idea of being, you know, in this world, they're super made up and they're super glam and they're pink, but it's sort of a uniform. It's like a requirement and they get really good at it. And they get so good that they learn how to insert like covert technology, like into their nails vis-a-vis chip, right? Um, they've yeah. learned how to use their, their skill sets to transform the nail salon into a secret Underground radio show where they can like broadcast news and tips and events and things like that, um, and the idea being that under the Comadre nail salon there is a secret radio station where they broadcast Loquitas Anonymous, but of course they're not supposed to have access to this technology, so they have to work with um, you know folks who are off the grid who can smuggle in you know, uh, uh, all the tech you might need to broadcast a radio show. And you have always these male gaze enforcers, you know, who Mm -hmm. you only see from like the mouth down and whose job is to make sure that the bitches are in line and that the bitches are (laughs) keeping up their maintenance and that they're behaving and they're on their way to their appointments and that they are pleasing to the male gaze. So of course we, we, we want to know what happens next at the end of Loquita's anonymous, these male gaze enforcers, they show up at, at the Comadre Nail Salon, um, something is up, one of the bitches is missing, one of the bitches is not in time for roll call, so what's going to go down? And we're led to believe that the women in the salon attack the male gaze enforcers using all the beauty supplies that they have lying around mm-hmm. them. And, and and that's where it ends. And so we'd love to build it out so we can we can share, you know, what, what happens <laughs> after this? What do they do?
0: <laughs> okay, one more important PSA. Here's my challenge for you. Take a screenshot right now of this episode and share on social media with a tag to Poderland and the guest. I want to know that you're listening and I want to shout you out. Also, Are you signed up for Poderland's email list yet? Because as much as I love social media and connecting through there, I'm also preparing for its demise, and I want to make sure that I stay in touch with you and we have control over our communication. Not only will you get important updates about this show, you'll get recommendations of other women-hosted podcasts, news related to podcasters you love, discounts on my cute-ass merch, and much more. Okay, let's get back into this interview. Okay, I have one more question and then I have three rapid fire before we finish okay. up. But it it's cool because and I'm sure this was a part of, you know, the development concept, but I you're kind of doing that with your actual podcast, maybe not quite to the uh extent of the patriarchy you know that's happening in the short but it could lead there so it's uh-huh. it's not it's not far off um which is always the scary part of dystopian stuff but i i wonder you're on season five now and you mentioned that each season you two kind of pick a theme and i'm wondering two-part question kind of how you've seen the evolution of locatora since you two have started and if you could tell us a little bit about this season's theme and why you chose that particular one.
1: Yeah, I think at the beginning, we wanted to be able to cover everything and everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. and and take care of everything and everyone. But over the years, um, putting out audio, engaging with your audience, getting feedback, um, producing events and webinars and workshops and doing talks we've, we've come to sort of streamline like who we are and what we do, you know, and focusing a little bit more and uh, also organizing ourselves. So one way that we've done that is by uh, branching out like away from Instagram. And uh, especially because so much of our individual branding started on Instagram and the podcast really started as an Instagram page with an RSS feed, right? That's attached to it. But now we have a website, you know, um, we have like a joint bank account. We have Mm -hmm. a Patreon. We sell merch that we design. We work with a web designer and with an audio editor and we have our, our visual team we have now a team that we work with to help us with brand collaborations and sponsorships and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, we've learned that we can only do so much like as individuals and when you're a creative like sometimes it's okay to admit when you have areas where you're not quite so strong and
0: proficient uh-huh
1: and it's okay <laughs> yeah, totally. it's okay to bring in help and to bring in a team and so we've sort of focused ourselves in and come to the realization and we've been talking to each other about this a lot in the past year and even in the past couple weeks even more so like Coming to the realization that we are a small business and we are a production house, Mm -hmm. that's why we've been able to produce what we've been able to produce for as long as we have, because we've built an infrastructure and it's that of a small business. So it's okay for us to think of ourselves that way. And, you know, the reality is that when you're podcasting, your RSS feed is where the money is potentially. It's where the money could reside if you made space (laughs) for it there, you know? Um, And that's like not an evil, bad thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not an evil thing for women to take their passion project and monetize it and grow it and professionalize. It's not bad we almost have to like teach ourselves and reminder it's okay to post more than once a day. No, one's going to fucking hate you. And if they do, it comes with the territory, you know, it's okay to email your like newsletter subscribers more than once a week. Like they're not going to show up at your house with pitchforks. You know what I mean? Like it's okay to take a risk with the content you put out and the things you say, because I am not an elected official or a librarian or a public school teacher or a healthcare worker or a fucking journalist. I'm a exactly. podcaster, you know? And so almost like you're creatives, you have, we have a platform, we have a responsibility. We don't put bullshit out there. We don't put misinformation out there. We do our best to fact check and have a, a, a diverse um, kind of slate of topics that we cover. But it's also like, you're we're also like nobody should be depending on Locatora radio for their news every day like please god (laughs) don't like please lord don't (laughs) tune in to hear what mala and diosa have to say about x y and z but not because your livelihood depends on it you know so i think that's been part of it too is there's a sort of anxiety and a pressure to be perfect and deliver and make sure everybody's happy and cover all the bases and do everything and all the topics and a plus a plus a plus a plus a A plus because we were good girls in school and we got straight A's and we live <laughs> for that shit we got oh we took all the AP classes we got into good colleges we graduated on time ta- oh you know what I mean
0: gosh. yes I really do but it's like bitch relax
1: <laughs> chill you're a fucking podcaster you make content first it's and it's not to minimize because it, it is important right. and it does matter and this is our businesses and our livelihoods yes. but
0: Yeah, (laughs) there's like there's that balance needed of like giving a fuck but not giving too much of a fuck and like having to walk yourself through exactly what you're saying every once in a while when you're getting like too perfectionist about it. One hundred percent. You you I I know that feel me. You (laughs) hear me? I do. So much, so much. Um, but so, so this season, uh, tell me about the theme and why you landed on that. Yeah.
1: So we last year, we sort of uh, named that season. You know, Porcasteras podcasteras peligrosas, on the run you know, wanted for crimes against the patriarchy. And we just loved Porcasteras Peligrosas so much. We wanted to keep using it. And so this Mm -hmm. almost felt like a a continuation. Like, Porcasteras Peligrosas, um, listen at your own risk. Like, this is very voluntary. This is very optional. Like, this is not an assignment. I mean, look, I thought I has been assigned reading on a number of syllabi at different universities at this point. I will say that. So unless you're Amazing. taking one of those classes, this is not an assignment. It's not a requirement. You <laughs> do not have to listen. So if you do listen and it, we upset you or you don't like it or you're offended, we want you to know that you tuned in at your own risk. It's on the flyer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: amazing yeah. I okay I have I have one one last question then I have rapid fire ones mm-hmm. but I have to ask just based on what you just said so what's been like one of those moments where you've had the type of feedback where it's like why are you even listening and like oh. how, how, how do you handle that like when it comes through <laughs> oh
1: my god can I just say the <laughs> there are so many folks who like um there are People on the internet that whether they tune in or not is unclear, but they (laughs) always have feedback. And these are the people who demand the most, Mm -hmm. uh, but contribute the least to the project. And, and then it, that becomes my question. Like, why are you making all these demands of us? We clearly are not providing what you're seeking. And also we do this shit for free. Uh-huh. This is free. Right. This is very free. Like it's super free. And you have <laughs> a lot of demand. And what stresses me out to no end, like I roll into the next dimension is when men like cisgender, heterosexual men are in the DMs. I, I showed... Mm-hmm. When the other day on our campaign, for example, our, 100, our 90 days to 100K, we're trying to raise $100,000 on iFund Women to launch Locatora Productions. So we're posting about it on the Instagram and some man who like, uh, when have you bought merch? When really have we seen you share anything that we do? Um, he commented, like, well, if you're gonna cover X, Y, and Z topic um and issue, then I'll donate. So I responded and I was like, I, you know, we encourage you to donate your money directly to that cause. We're gonna cover it regardless. Don't even think about donating to us. Honestly, redirect your funds yeah. to the cause you find really, really, really important. And then I, I was like, this guy looks familiar. And I look at my DM. And the only other time that he had engaged with us was to like reply to a story from like a year ago where where he was like, It's so sad to see Latinas like not care about the water crisis in Mexico. Oh my God. I'm like a completely unrelated story that has nothing to do with anything at all. And I'm like, Here's my actual question is like, What do you want me to do right. about the water crisis in Mexico? I'm a pocha from Los Angeles. I don't even know anyone in Mexico. Like, all of my family is in California. I couldn't call up a tia in Mexico if I wanted to I would go down there and have chopped up fucked up Spanish I would be more (laughs) of a burden than who what am I so what do you want me to do sir and it's interesting too because now on the monetize now that we've started monetizing our content not all of it is monetized it's very here Mm -hmm. and there it's it's still a work in progress what you learn is that um content is content if I'm posting Mm -hmm. about homelessness, and starving children, then that engagement, those are the numbers that I end up going back and reporting as far as my analytics and impressions for brand deals. Because Mm -hmm. brands don't give a shit what your content is about. They just want to know the numbers. What are your story Mm -hmm. impressions? What are your post impressions? What are your Twitter impressions? So my question is, you know, when you demand that a content creator cover a very sensitive topic, we can do it. We can do it, but why why the demand in this specific space in isolation when content is content? And if I'm posting about something, that's my content now. And when I post things, I can post about smoking weed and roller skating and it ends up in the LA Times, which happened recently, (laughs) like literally, you know what I mean? I, I can post about all the things you want me to post about. I would rather behind the scenes give my money directly to the people in need instead of taking someone's trauma and pain and making it my content that I get press and clout and money for. So Mm. that's my one big frustration in the sort of content creator podcasting space is audiences have a lot of demands, but I think often they're misplaced. I Mm. I hear you. If you want me to do it, I'll fucking do it. But
0: (laughs) yeah, I think that that's always a good reminder. I, I feel like there's, there's a line of like, well, I want to publicly know that this is important to you so that because you have that influence while on the flip side it's like we also don't always know what people are doing behind the scenes and they might be doing all the things they're not we're just not broadcasting it every day so you get to see all the work I'm doing because that's cool and that's helpful to an extent but ultimately you just need to be doing it behind the scenes otherwise it doesn't mean anything yeah um and guarantee he's not doing shit. So... Oh, uh, no, <laughs> none of them are. <laughs> oh, man. The, the people who are loudest about that are spending all their time being loud about it and yeah
1: it. and it's like look you want to know how we feel about the water crisis when we threw um one of our last look at podcast parties you know what we did we told the bar that they could not carry any of the uh constellation brand beers and it was a fucking, uh drama and mess and disaster for us because Bars and venues will let folks throw events and parties so that the bar, the venue makes its money at the bar, Mm
0: -hmm. right?
1: Like in LA in particular, a lot of event spaces will allow a party, a crew, whatever to come in and throw a party for free, use the space for free. But because Mm -hmm. the venue is making money on the on the bar sales. So while you're in our fucking DMs being shady boots for no effing reason with no knowledge of what we're doing, we're throwing our huge once a year party and on the phone and really going back and forth and stressing with the venue um, to make them take their money-making product off the shelves. And so that's how mm-hmm. we care about the water crisis in Mexico. What else the fuck do you want? You know what I mean? We donate. Yeah. We 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 collab. We do what we can, but it's it's true what you say, right? Like a lot of things happen behind the scenes. You have no way of knowing just watching on the Instagram where it's like 0.5% of the whole mm-hmm. picture is on display. It's like it's like less than a percentage point of the of the real thing is what you see on the Instagram feed. Right.
0: Yeah, the reminder is always necessary, I think for so many of us. Um okay, well, I could totally keep you here longer, but I know we got to start I know we got to start finishing up. So, I have three final questions for you. Um and first one is who would you name as either like a podcast mentor or someone you just really emulate in the space?
1: Oh, definitely I want to shout out two women who have been killing it especially as podcast producers so there's mm. Twila dang with matriarch hey. media we love matriarch and the the model the the slate of shows uh the way that she works and Twila has been so generous with her time and like talking to the and i and like chatting mm-hmm. one-on-one um and and just really like Being a friend in the space is really nice and someone who is way more um, experienced and veteran in the industry in particular, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that, you know, Twyla um, and her folks that they have their own production company in, in Matriarch a major inspiration for us as we become our, our own production company. And then there's Maria Hinojosa and Futuro Media, who similar thing, you know, Maria has this long um, storied career in journalism and, and in radio and now in the podcast space and Futuro like does not get the acclaim that it deserves mm. with the slate of shows that it has and the way that they, They operate in the way that they run. We were lucky to interview uh, Maria about her book, Once I Was You. So I would say those two women are definitely our our fairy pod mothers.
0: I love it. Amazing. Uh, Okay. And then when you are listening to other podcasts, what would we find on your queue? So my two faves, like
1: forever faves, are Why Won't You Date Me by Nicole Byer. I love Nicole. (laughs) Amazing. I like have dreams about like being on a podcast with Nicole. Like-
0: Oh, we're good. Manifesting.
1: Manifesting. (laughs) I like dream about Nicole Byer. Um, I hope she hears this. And then, of course, the Bodega Boys. I love them. I love the Bodega Boys. They are so funny. They're so smart. Like, I like how they know they know exactly what's going on. They're very in tune with the discourse. They're very in tune with the Twitter sphere. They're very in tune with the digital space, with politics, with world issues. Like, Mm -hmm. um, but the way that they go about it is so funny funny and so new
0: york and i just i i consider them my like pod feels like i love them i love it oh, amazing i've never listened to them but i'll have to. i've like heard the name before i just haven't listened to it and also it's funny you know what i think you really are manifesting because i that just made me remember that i had a dream like well, ages ago of meeting you two <gasps> and i was like oh my god you guys are so sweet in my dream i was like And here we are. Now we're chatting, which is hilarious. But yeah, I was like having dreams about like podcast like meeting. I think who else did I get to meet? I met Yvette Nicole Brown, who was like on an episode that I really liked. She doesn't have her own podcast, but she was a guest and I was like. She was a sweetheart also. And then TK Dutez, I also met in a dream. I've met a lot of people in dreams, which is kind of hilarious. This, this gives me hope. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, final question is, how can we find you? And how can we support everything you're doing? And specifically give us directives to find the crowdfunding link?
1: Yes. So I am Mala Munoz. And you can find me specifically on Instagram and Twitter at Mala underscore Munoz. That's M-U-N-O-Z. My podcast that I co-host with Diosa Femme is called Locatora Radio. You can tune in across streaming platforms. We have a website, Um, Sign up for our newsletter, Besitos, where you get like all of our behind the scenes goodies. We, uh, what, da, 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 oh yes, our crowdfund campaign. So we are <laughs> using a platform called iFundWomen. So we are launching our own production company. We are trying to raise $100,000 in 90 days, and we just hit our $8,000 mark today hey. mm. Lily but surely slowly but surely um, yeah you can hit up ifundwomen.com forward slash projects forward slash locatora dash productions and drop a little contribution
0: become a funder yeah and I'll put all of that in the show notes so that you can easily click it and go there thank you yeah of course well I'm so excited that you spent Part of your afternoon morning, you're in LA. I'm in New York. It's a little different, but I'm glad you spent some time here on the pod broads. It was so nice getting to meet you in person in real time. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Love your work.
1: Love the pod broads. Love Poderland. Love it all.
0: <laughs> Our original music is produced by Carrie blue and everything else is produced by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram at Podriland, p o d d r a l a n d or Twitter at Podriland, minus the period. And you can find more of what I do on Podriland at www.podriland.com, where I recommend women hosted podcasts and feature indie women podcasters. So I hope to see you there. Feel free to subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get recommendations and updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode, tag us in it, like that shit, give us a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's our goal. So let's fucking do it.